Yesterday, you focused on uh, some of the domestic issues that are affecting the performance of the market and the RAND, especially at the moment. But we know that there are just as many uncertainties coming from global markets that are weighing on this as well. So what are some of the more important factors that investors are currently looking at? Sakina, yes, um, you know, we do not operate in isolation and much of what we experience in South Africa is as a result of those global factors. And we talk a lot about the U.S. economy, in particular the outlook for U.S. interest rates, because I think what underpins most of what we're seeing in the world at the moment is almost a form of currency wars where the lack of sustainable economic growth around the world is really putting most countries in the world in a position where most would prefer a weaker domestic currency. And that's really all in an effort to try and boost its own export markets. Um, in South Africa, I guess we, you know, we don't like the idea of a weaker rand, but it does have a positive effect on our export industries. But, you know, not all currencies can go weaker at the same time. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think that's part of the problem that we've got is that there's, there's this um, tug of war going on where most of the countries are looking to do policies in place that will result in a weaker currency for them. Um, we've got, for example, a focus also in China, not just on the change in that makeup of the economic growth, but very much around bad loans in Chinese banks, for example, and how long that can be sustained by the government. We've got, of course, um, UK and Europe still having to deal with post-Brexit restructuring and changes. So there's, there's a lot of these uncertainties. And at the forefront of all of this is what will the U.S. Fed do in terms of its interest rate outlook? And, and when we look at that particular picture, the U.S. still being the biggest economy in the world, although China seems to be catching up quite fast, but it, it really comes down to um, can they actually afford to increase interest rates in the U.S. without affecting what appears to be at the moment um, a, a more sustainable growth scenario in the U.S. Well then, um, Narina, just also looking at that U.S. economy, and uh, it's assumed to be on a more suitable growth path, but what does that mean for the demand for commodities, for commodity prices, and in particular for oil? So this is quite an interesting one because we've certainly seen oil over the last year fluctuate between um, sort of the strongest levels of just over $50 a barrel and it's been as weak as $50 a barrel. Now that is quite a broad range in which it operates but there's a lot of expectation that um, alternative suppliers like your shale gas producers um, are more profitable at a $50 level and certainly at $30 there's a lot of production that's taken off the table. So we look at things like the shale gas producers but we also look at what's happening within OPEC and the extent to which they might be likely to get a production freeze or a production target in place. And so far, none of that has materialized. And every time that there's this view from, from what's happening in terms of, of OPEC, um, oil price seems to retreat from that $50 a level. But one of the things that I think we, we are underestimating in the oil industry is the extent to which China has been building up its, its oil reserves, its strategic reserves. Um, it, it mentioned um, a, a good couple of years 
years ago that they want to get to the point where they will have at least 100 days worth of imports in their strategic reserves. Most um, estimate that to be just over 500 million barrels of oil. Now, China does not report much on its uh, strategic reserves, but uh, there's some, some estimates that reckon that they're probably at about $400 million a barrel, uh, of, uh, sorry, 400 million barrels of, of oil in their strategic reserve. And, and this constant buying of the Chinese um, strategic reserve is, is one of the things that is cited to be uh, sort of the, the, the support for the oil price. And until China has, has finished that process of these, we might very well find that the oil price does not fall back in a heap and back down to $30 a barrel again. And then, uh, Narina, you know, Clive and I just touched on this yesterday because there, there seems to be an increasing number of private sector corporate governance breaches in the news of late. Uh, there's uh, British American Tobacco, there's ArcelorMittal, those come to mind most readily. And the latest to make the news for all the wrong reasons is Apple, the technology giant. Talk to us about that. Yeah, interesting that some of the biggest companies around the world and on markets are, are ones that are in the spotlight. So Apple is a very interesting one regarding um, the, the lack of taxes that it has paid in the last 10 plus years, ever since they changed the domicile of their head office to Ireland, which for all intents and purposes is really just an address. There's really not an office or people there. And, and you know, the, the fine that was levied on them by the EU in particular um, is somewhere in the region of about 13 billion euros Plus interest. So let's not forget that interest bit uh, as well. And Mm. and it it talks to, I think, a global um, market in which companies are able to go and find where they can basically have the best domicile in order to get favorable tax um, regimes. You know, we've seen some some fairly um, illegal or, or immoral things going on, but then there's also the good business sense that says, you know what, if this particular country or region allows me to have my domicile here and pay less tax, why should I not do it? So I think this is going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out, especially in a post-Brexit world where there's the possibility that a lot of companies and in particular financial institutions that have their headquarters in in London and in the UK might leave because of the Brexit decision. Just a final word on Apple for me. What I find just fascinating is is this fine is enormous and it's, um, yes, uh, they will go out on appeal in terms of this, but when we look at the 13 billion euros that that the fine on Apple is, you know, that represents only about 6% of Apple's current cash that they have on hand. Just giving you an idea Mm. of the magnitude of this company, the magnitude of the cash that it generates. And and yes, it is a massive amount of money, but it's not something that's going to dent the real cash flow of Apple in particular. Um, And therefore probably, you know, there's negative sentiment, but this is certainly not something that's going to, um, to kill this company. Wow.